Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. I'm going to start off with a video that probably a lot of you have seen, but I'm just going to start off with it and then I'm going to watch this first and I'll take off from that, okay? religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion and authority called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. enough of a sermon, huh? <laughs> uh, well, I'll email that out to everybody and also be on our podcast, but I know a lot of you probably have seen it. What a powerful, um, and also you might want to Google his interviews. He's done some interviews and just uh, really touching. It's been an inter- internet sensation, millions and millions of hits, because it really has hit a nerve. This, this video has really hit a nerve because it's a radical message, but Jesus preached a very radical message also. He was seen as anti religious establishment but he loved God and his laws just like this guy said I hate religion but love Jesus that's the focus of that Jesus the title what I did for today's title is why Jesus hates religion but loves God and his law and that's that's really a picture of what the same message that Jesus had here. He was so radical, Jesus was so radical, he was so different from the Pharisees and what they taught that many people thought he was trying to destroy the law that was given by Moses. But, in fact, the Pharisees accused him of breaking that law, but he never did break the law. He only broke their human traditions that were piled on top of the law. And once again, if Jesus did a video, I I think he would do the same kind of video. Why I hate religion but love God, my Father. Because he, he came to fulfill God's law. He didn't hate the law. He hated the religion that was piled on top of it. And he came to fulfill his father's law and bring out its true meaning that was buried under all this human tradition. Buried under that. And we're going to see that today and the next couple of weeks. And how he came to fulfill the law and bring out its real true meaning. True meaning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for a chance to refocus a lot of us not feeling well or going through trials and struggles or battling temptation and addictions. And Lord, just, it's just something happens when we walk in and worship you and hear your word and, and read your word and your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Just pray that your spirit would move in our hearts this morning, continuing that progressive change in our life making us like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5. I want to read 17 through 20, but I only got through one verse. That's all I got through. So 18 through 20 is going to have to wait for next week, but I'm going to read it all anyway. It says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait till next week. You think today's going to be wild? Wait till next week. 
the law, when he says here, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, when, um, but to fulfill them, the law, when he mentions the law, he's talking about the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was given by God to Moses. You all saw Charlton Heston writing it all down, right? So that's, uh, that's what he's talking about when he says the law. The prophets, though, the prophets, both the major and minor, major being the longer books, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the minor being the shorter ones, Malachi, Jonah, uh, the prophets refer to Isaiah all the way through Malachi. But when it's quoted together, whenever you see in the, the Bible when it's quoted the law and the prophets quoted together, he's, Jesus is talking about not just the, the Pentateuch and the prophets, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. That's a, a, a catchword for all of it, including not just the Pentateuch, not just the prophets, but also the, the historical writings and the books of wisdom and the books of poetry, First, Second Kings, history, uh, poetry being the Psalms, the book of wisdom, Proverbs, they're all included, in, and when he says the law and the prophets, it's all included together. But let's start with the prophets and see how Jesus said, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Let's start with the prophets and, and how Jesus fulfilled that. The prophets were sent by God to warn and encourage the nation of Israel to, uh, for a specific time in history to fulfill their purpose. God gave them a purpose, and they would warn them or encourage them to do something, build a temple, stop sinning, turn away from the idols, whatever. He would use the prophets to warn them to try to get them to fulfill their purpose and their potential as a nation of Israel. That's what God would use the prophets for. But they also made prophetic predictions. Prophetic predictions, some of them were immediate. In a year, the king's going to die, or uh, next year, the Babylonians are going to invade. Some were very close, immediate prophetic predictions, but some were long-term, far away. In fact, some have not even been fulfilled now. You can see their parallels in the book of Revelation. That's how it could be immediate, and all the way till the end of the age is is when the prophets could be referring to. But there were also hundreds... And hundreds of prophetic predictions about the coming Messiah. That the Messiah that God was going to send to save the nation of Israel. But also all people, Jews and Gentiles, from their sin. And he sent this, these uh, prophetic predictions about the Messiah. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, it says, in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. I do have this memorized, but I have to look it up. Uh... Listen to what it says here. Concerning, Peter's talking, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not certain serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that you have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things so it talked about how the prophets were even the spirit of Christ in them was giving them prophetic predictions about when he would come and what he would suffer for us so that we could be saved from, from sin and from judgment and from God's wrath. So we see that, that many of these prophetic predictions were given. And they were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to just turn to Romans, or I'll, I'll give you the verse up behind us. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans this morning. In Romans chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, when Paul says, 
the gospel that was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So we see that Jesus fulfilled these predictions. And not just there's one reference, but there's hundreds of predictions that Jesus fulfilled. If you want to see something amazing, Google prophetic predictions that Jesus Christ fulfilled by his, by his coming, by his death, by his resurrection. Check out the prophetic predictions that Jesus fulfilled. It's unbelievable. The odds of someone being able to come and, and accomplish these amazing predictions are like one in a gazillion. It's impossible. It's just literally impossible. In fact, it's so, it's so uh, convincing. And this is what helped me really come to Christ. It's so convincing, these prophetic fulfillments that Jesus fulfilled, that in order to not believe it, you would have to choose to shut your eyes. You have to choose to not believe it. That's how convincing, amazing these predictions are. Amazing. And also, as you look at these predictions, you can see very easily that it's impossible for anybody but Jesus to fulfill these predictions. It's impossible. Many of, of uh, my Jewish friends are still looking forward to the Messiah, looking for him to come, but they're looking for nothing because it's impossible for the Messiah to come now because some of these pr- predictions were so time-specific that it had to be in Jesus' day. For instance, G- the Messiah had to come to the temple. The second temple, it was prophesied that the Messiah would show up at that second temple and preach. Guess what? Where is that second temple? It's gone. It was destroyed right after after Christ died and resurrected. Within a short time later, it was destroyed. So it's impossible for that prediction to be fulfilled today by, by a new Messiah. It had to be Jesus Christ who did preach in that, in that temple. It's impossible. And, and, and in order to not, if someone were to seriously look at these prophecies and, and match them up against Jesus, you would have to purposely shut your eyes to the truth. That's how amazing these predictions are. So Jesus came to fulfill these prophecies. He, perf- he fulfilled the prophets in an amazing way. But he also came to fulfill the law. He says the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Now, the law has three parts. The first part is the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law is the rules for worship that people have to use, the Jewish people during the time of Christ had to use for worship. There was also the judicial law, the rules that God gave to the Israel as a nation, specifically for them as a nation, on how to govern their country, on, on stealing, on, on murder, on uh, all kinds of law-breaking. He gave them how to run their country judicially. Okay? He also, the third part of the law is the moral law. The moral law, which would be the Ten Commandments and other uh, moral requirements that are above and beyond the Jewish nation, that just you can see that it's very clearly for everybody, Jew and Gentile. Now, how did he fulfill the law? He fulfilled it in three ways. He fulfilled the law in three ways, and this is very important. There's three parts of the law, but he fulfilled each of them in three ways. The first one is through his life. Through his life, he lived a life of holiness. He lived a perfect life. He never broke God's law. He's the only person, human, we know he's God, man, but he's the only human being that never 
broke the law. Never sinned even once. He kept it perfectly. He kept the, the righteous requirements of God's law. Remember we talked about the ark. The, the Ark of the Covenant and how that's a picture of Jesus. The whole If you ever studied the Ark, and, and it's a, just a complete picture of Jesus. But what was kept in the Ark? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Because that was a picture that Jesus was going to come and keep the law. He kept the law perfectly. And he also fulfilled by his life, he showed us how God wants us to keep the law. He showed us how God wants us to live our life, how the way, to live the way God intended. You see, God's laws and God's rules, everybody, in, especially in our society, we hate laws, we hate rules, we're not going to follow anybody, tell us, tell anybody what to do, but let anybody tell us what to do. But yet God's laws and his rules are there for a purpose, not to hinder us, but to give us the ultimate life God wants us to have. Just like a parent says, kids don't play in the street, you're going to get killed. God's laws are meant to keep us from playing in the street, from getting hurt. He, know, he wants us to, to live a, an awesome life, a perfect life, a, a life of joy and peace that we can only have by following his laws. It was never meant to hinder joy. It was meant to increase our peace and joy. And those of us who have broken God's laws, and we all have, and those of us who have repeatedly done it, you know what I'm talking about, we're miserable. It doesn't make us happy. It gives us about two seconds of, of something, but it, it doesn't last. We're miserable. God's laws are meant to let us live the ultimate life that he wants us to do. And Jesus' life is, is to show us that, that sin wrecks the joy, but, but you can live. This is how God wants us to live. That's another piece of it. Now, an important reason why he lived the law perfectly and why his life was lived out that way is so that he could fulfill the law in a second way. And the second way that he fulfilled the law was by his death. His death. He was the blood sacrifice. He suffered the penalty for those who broke the law. He was the payment for our sin. Somebody, some, only someone who's innocent of breaking the law can pay it for somebody else. I'll give me an example, and I've used this before. If, if someone is on death row, <clears throat> i got to pick on somebody here. Uh, I'll pick on Dave. I'll pick on Dave, our youth pastor. Dave is on death row. He, uh, well, I'm not going to go into details, but it was, it was ugly. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm not going to bring Megan into this. But anyway, he's, uh, it was ugly, and he's on death row, and he's going to be executed tomorrow. And he's getting ready to be executed, and they're talking to him, and, but his I guess an apple never falls far from the tree because um, his dad, Brad, is also on death row. You know, but, but he's, I'm not going to go into details, but I don't see Diane anywhere here. But anyway, see, uh, the, uh, she's teaching. I know she's teaching. I was kidding. She's teaching. He didn't do anything. But anyway, yeah, he's, he, he's on death row, but he's scheduled for a week from tomorrow. And just as his son Dave is getting ready to be taken out, he says, wait, hold on. Take me instead. That's my son. Take me instead. I want to take his place. Guards are touched. The warden is touched. Judge is touched. Okay, we'll let you take place. Switch his places. Brad goes to the electric chair. Dave goes into his cell. Has, has his dad helped him? Kind of. What did his dad do for him? Gave him another week, right? But he's still going to be executed. Because... Son and father both killed somebody. They've both broken the law. They both are going to face judgment. 
But let's say, uh, I'll keep it in the family. Kelsey, Kelsey, she's helping tea. So let's say Kelsey's sister, Kelsey, comes in to visit him. Uh, comes in to visit Dave just before. He's having his last supper there. And you all know Kelsey's an angel. She's never killed anybody. And so she, she, uh, she says, Dave, I feel really bad for you. I'm going to take your place. And she goes to the warden and says, I'm going to take her, his place. And the warden says, okay. And now they switch places. Has, has Kelsey helped him? Yeah. Why? Because she never killed anybody. She never broke the law. And so if she were to take his place, it actually helps him because he goes free. He goes free. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. None of us could help each other. All the religious figures in history, from Buddha to Muhammad, to, you, name, you go down the list, not one of them could help us because they've all broken God's law. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, came and lived a perfect life and fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law so that when he says, I will take your punishment, God accepted his substitution because he was not on death row. So when he says to us, you can leave that jail cell, I'll take your place, and he did it on the cross, it does something for us because we can go free. That was God's cosmic solution to us facing eternal judgment and separation execution that's the picture he fulfilled our death sentence and the law was satisfied that's why he says the law fulfilled verse 18 until everything is accomplished when everything was accomplished when was that what was jesus last words on the cross it is finished that's when it was finished. That's when it was accomplished. That's when the law was fulfilled, when Jesus died on that cross in our place. So he fulfilled the law through his, his life, perfect. He fulfilled it his, through his death, sacrifice in our place. And he also fulfilled it through, and is continuing to fill it through, his resurrection. Because because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he came back from the dead, proved he was the Son of God, came back and now we can receive him into our hearts because he's resurrected. We can receive his resurrection power. We can have a brand new life because of that. That's why Paul said, um, he says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. In Philippians he said that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We can now live a brand new life. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. The Spirit of God. To live inside of us. And when he comes in, and if you've ever had this happen, you know what I'm talking about. When you, you say, God, I believe Jesus died on that cross for me. I put my faith and trust in him to forgive me. I give my life to him. When you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in and it's amazing. What you used to read in the Bible was just words on a page. They come alive. It's a fire. It's a fire. Because the Holy Spirit is now illuminating and, and making it real to us. And the Holy Spirit also inside of us convicts us. Things that we used to do, no problem. Remember? Now you can't do it. You're miserable if we do it. Because the Holy Spirit's convicting us. No, that's not, how, that's not how I want you to live. I want you to live a different way now. I want you to live the ultimate potential way that I have for you. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And, and he's working in our, and he, in our hearts and he empowers us to live out the law. 
The law of holiness. Not following every little detail now, but we're living out the law of holiness. We're going beyond the law, which we'll see Jesus brings it out deeper and deeper in Matthew 5. We're going to not just the words of the law, but the heart of the law. We're living it out because the Holy Spirit's in us, and we're living it. And, and it's progressive. It takes time. It's, we're working on it. But, but that's what the Holy Spirit does is he, he empowers us to live the law. And that's why Jesus fulfilled it, because he's helping us all to live the way God always intended us to live. The full life he always intended us to have. Now let's go back to the three parts of the law and what Jesus Christ's fulfillment meant for that each one. And I'm going to go in reverse order this time. We talked about the moral law, the Ten Commandments and other moral commandments that he gave us. He fulfilled that by living it. Okay, Jesus fulfilled it, but... This law is perpetual. The moral law is perpetual. It did not stop at the the death and resurrection of Christ. It's perpetual. We even see that the Ten Commandments and many of the moral commandments of the Old Testament are reinforced later throughout the Gospels and throughout the, the, the epistles. And from Matthew through Revelation, they're reinforced. So we know they're perpetual. They're still enforced today, okay? The judicial law, the, govern, the law given to the government of Israel for governing the country... Now, once again, Jesus never broke any of those laws. He fulfilled it by never breaking them. But they were given specifically for the nation of Israel to govern in, in the midst of all these Gentile nations. God gave them that law to make, let their light shine to the Gentile nations and to keep them a holy people, right? But that was, that was specifically for the nation of Israel. It's a very good model for government. Most of our laws you can trace directly back to our Judeo-Christian heritage in the Old and New Testament. There's, it's hard to find a law in the United States before the last maybe 30 years, find a, a law that didn't, wasn't traced back to Christianity. So it's a very, very good uh, law to follow, but we don't have to follow every one of these laws. This is judicial law, okay? The ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was about the worship, how to do the different worship, you know, how to wash your hands and sacrifice the lamb. And, and there were many, many different types in the ceremonial law. If you look at the different sacrifices in place, they're all types, they're all pictures of Jesus Christ. And, but Jesus, when he came, he totally fulfilled the ceremonial law. He fulfilled the, the, the law and the types, every picture, every Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth, he fulfilled each and every one of them. When Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed, he fulfilled it completely. The whole point of the ceremonial law was a sacrifice of the lamb, right? That was really the foundation of it. But Jesus completely fulfilled that. So now we don't have to follow the ceremonial law. I have messianic Jewish friends and, and, and they follow the law still. That's great. There's nothing wrong with doing it. It's okay to do as a reminder, just like we do communion as a reminder. It's a reminder, but we don't have to follow the law, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, we don't have to follow the law. That was very the ceremonial law, very clear. Paul preached it, Peter preached it, all throughout there. We don't have to follow that anymore. Does that mean we, it's wrong? Not at all. I once again, I have good friends who are Messianic Jews. They follow it. Nothing wrong with doing that. It's super. In fact, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, April eighth, we're going to have a Passover Seder here. We're going to meet down the cafeteria, and we have a, a rabbi coming in, a messianic rabbi coming in, and he's going to take us through the Passover and show us how Christ fulfilled it, not just through his death, but his resurrection is all in the Passover. 
He's going to really bring that. It's going to be beautiful. Make sure you come. We're going to have a sample of all the different kind of foods. We're not going to have a full meal. No lamb cooked. But, but we're going to have all the different pieces of the, the, the Seder. So, we're, so there's nothing wrong. It's super to do. But the law, the serum, we don't have to follow it because Paul says the law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans 10, I'm going to camp out here for a few minutes. In Romans 10, where, where Paul says... Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, in verses 1 to 3, we see the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders, they twisted the law and they developed a work salvation. That you had to follow the law and all the human traditions that we piled on top of it to get to heaven someday, to get right with God. Does that sound familiar? Anybody grow up in a church like that? Got to follow the law and the human traditions that they developed to, to get to heaven. You got to work your way in. That's nothing new under the sun. The Pharisees did it. It's happening today in the religious circles, right? And... and they, they twisted it. But verse 4, where Paul stresses Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. The word in the Greek literally means the goal. It doesn't mean, it means the goal of the law, the completion. When you score a goal, you complete the, the whole purpose of why you're playing. And he's the completion of the law. Christ, was, Christ came to, to fulfill the whole point of the law. We're not saved by it. And look what it says in verse 4 there. It says, we're not saved by following the law, but by believing. He's the, Christ is the completion, the end, the goal of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That's the whole point here. We're not saved by following the law, but by believing. And it always was by faith. A lot of people say, well, in the Old Testament you're saved by following the law, and the New Testament is by grace, by putting your faith in Christ. No, it was by faith from the start to the finish. In fact, in, in Romans 4, 3, you go back a couple of verses, a couple of chapters there, where you talk about Paul's making the argument from Abraham, who started the Jewish people, and he says, what does the Scripture say? Going back to Genesis 15, 6, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. Moses was saved by faith. Joshua taking the people into the promised land. Remember the book of Joshua was saved by faith. We are saved by faith from A to Z, from first to last. Saved by faith. We are saved by faith and we live by faith. And the whole goal of the law was never to save us. It was to show us our need for putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we break the law and break the law and break the law, which we all have done many times, it shows us that we need a savior. We need grace. We need forgiveness. And it turns us to Jesus Christ. Just as in the, in the Old Testament, they would go to this lamb and, and, and they would put their hands on the lamb and the priest would slit its throat and then they would burn the lamb. And, and that was a picture of their, the, the sins being placed on that lamb. But it was always by, not, not by, by following the law, but they were symbolically putting their hands, faith, sins on that lamb as a substitute, which was looking forward by faith, in faith, to the coming Messiah someday who would take their sins on our sins. 
And that's what the Pharisees with their religion didn't get. It's so many don't get today, right? You saw the poem. It's so true what they don't get today. That's why I, I, I love that video, why we hate religion but, but love Jesus. Because the difference, it's the difference between do and done. Did you catch that little quick thing he did on the do and the done? Religion is spelled do. D-O. You got to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, all the way to the Z. You got to do all these things to get right with God and stay right with God. But done is D-O-N-E. That's how we spell Christianity. That's what Jesus did. It's done. There's nothing more we can do except keep putting our faith in Christ and living by that faith and trusting him and his righteousness. That's the difference. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He was the lamb who was sacrificed for us. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He was the ultimate lamb. And there's no need, Hebrews 10, there's no need for any more sacrifice. It was once for all. It's done. He's the lamb who died in our place. That's what he did. Some of you, I told the, my lamb story before. It's been a while. I, I, had a, I grew up on a farm. We had cows. And I really wanted a lamb wanted a lamb really bad. And, and uh, so I just really wanted a lamb. Couldn't wait to get a lamb. This week, Becca wanted a new bunny. She found a bunny on the internet and a new, new bunny. And I ended up driving a long way with her to help her pick up this bunny she fell in love with. And she was so excited. And I, she just couldn't love, she just loves her little bunny, loves her bunny. That's what I like, was like with this lamb. I was thinking, you know, that's just what I was like with my lamb. Because I had cows everywhere, and I just wanted a, a lamb. I wanted a little lamb. My parents took me over to a sheep farmer. And we got there, and I picked out a lamb, brought it home. And I didn't know anything about sheep. My parents didn't know anything about sheep. Sheep and cows don't mix so everybody knows that you've seen the westerns and so we took the took the lamb and brought it in and i took it out in the barn and i petted it and i gave it this milk bottle and i was so excited tied it up for the night put you know put a rope around its neck tied it up for the night went out went went in to go to bed next morning i got up and ran running down the stairs couldn't wait to go see my lamb my mom met me on the steps she said don't go out in the barn your lamb is dead I was crushed. Turns out, you tie calves up, but you don't tie sheep up. And it got upset and started twisting its rope and strangled itself. I was crushed. Because I love that lamb. My parents, I was so upset, they put me in the car, (laughs) drove back to the sheep farm. It's a long ways away, too. We get to the sheep farm, and they took me back and said, so let's go find another lamb. And I remember going back, and I didn't notice this the first time. I picked up the first lamb, but I noticed it the second time. The, the, the pen they took us to, all the sheep had these red lines down their backs. And this time I noticed it. Might have been the first one, I just didn't, don't remember. But the second one, I noticed it was all these sheep with red lines down their back. Because those are the ones that are going to be butchered. They take the marker and they just put a big red line down the back, and then they know which ones to take out and to slaughter. And one came running up to me. I took him home, picked him up, carried him out, took him home, named him Sam. Sam the Lamb. Sam the ram lamb. He didn't say ram for long, but Sam the lamb. And uh, I love that lamb. 
loved him. He was my, my besides dogs, which I love too, he was, he was just my pet, followed me everywhere. But if my first lamb hadn't died, where would Sam have been? Slaughtered. It took an accident to save Sam's life and give him a life on that farm. But Jesus didn't die by accident. He died willingly. His father sent him to die as a willing victim. He was the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world on purpose so that we don't have to face judgment. So that that red streak down our back could be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why in, in Romans 10, 4, it says Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. If we believe in him, we are given his righteousness. He takes our place. We are totally forgiven and are given a brand new life and a chance to live a brand new life. And for those who have done this, know what I'm talking about. And not only that, as Christians, once we put our faith in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to come live within us. He lives inside of us. And we can grieve him, we can quench his spirit, we can try to ignore him, but he's there trying to speak to us and to reach us. And he empowers us to live this righteous life. It's not automatic, it's not easy, it's progressive. But it's progressive. Little by, I look back a year ago or 10 years ago, I was like, wow, did I really do that? Have I really changed that much? I see it in you guys. I've been here 11 years now. I've seen so many changes in so many of you. That's the Holy Spirit's progressive changing of our hearts. It's not as fast as we wish it was, is it? But it's happening. That's what Christ came to fulfill in our hearts. I'm going to give you an assignment for next week. Psalm 119. The 119th Psalm. It's long. But start to read through that and about God's law. And, and, and when you hit a verse that really speaks, you just stop and camp out and meditate on it. You don't have to get through the whole psalm. But between now and next week, get as far as you can. And just meditate on these verses that talk about God's law. And see, because we're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to do the part B to this. Start letting God work in your hearts. Let's pray.